Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we come now to the great season of Lent, this wonderful penitential season when we come to terms with what God wants us to be. We come to terms with the meaning and purpose of our lives. The text the church gives us today is a very powerful one. It's the temptation story from the Gospel of Luke. Listen to how it begins. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days, where he was tempted by the devil. As Jesus begins his public work, he begins his public ministry, he must clarify what he is about. He must clarify who he is. And the means chosen is temptation. Notice, please, he is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. Temptation is not altogether a bad thing. When we are tempted, we come up against one option. Precisely in our resistance to it, in our struggle with it, we can determine more clearly for ourselves who we are. Christians, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you are not. Part of knowing what your life is about is knowing what it's not about. So here Jesus, at the beginning of his public life, enters into this moment of clarification. And this, I think, is what Lent means for us. Where does it happen? It happens in the desert. I've often pointed out, the great figures in biblical history pass through a time of cleansing in the desert, a time of purification. It's true of Moses, true of Joseph, true of Elijah, many others. Here's Jesus entering into the deserted place. How come? Blaise Pascal, the great French Catholic theologian, says we spend most of our lives seeking diversions. He means we find a million different ways to distract ourselves from the great questions. Who am I? Who is God? What does God want? Where's my life going? Those questions are too hard, they're too pressing, they're too difficult, and so we distract ourselves in a thousand different ways. What's the desert? It's a place where there are no distractions. And therefore the place where we can come face to face with the questions. Why do we fast and abstain during Lent? Why do we engage in certain practices of self-denial during Lent? 
so that we might create for ourselves a kind of desert experience. We set aside certain distractions that the great questions might emerge. Can I urge you in that spirit? Think of something that you do, some practice of yours, that is essentially a diversion. A way of just keeping your mind off the great questions. Isolate that and then say during Lent, I'm trying to, I'm going to leave that aside. I'm going to enter into the desert to that extent. Now what happens to the Lord in the desert? It's beautiful how Luke, like Matthew, constructs this scene. The three great temptations correspond to the topography of the scene. We begin on the desert floor, among the rocks and the stones. The first temptation is a relatively low-level temptation. Listen now. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to turn into bread. Jesus answered him, Scripture has it, Not on bread alone shall man live. First temptation is a low level, that is to say it's a basic one, but that does mean it's a very powerful one. The first temptation is this, to base your life, not on the will and purpose of God, but to base your life on the goods that satisfy the body. Food, drink, sex, sensual pleasure. All those things that satisfy the desires of the body. As I've said a thousand times before, are those desires bad in themselves? No. No. We're not Puritans. We celebrate them. But, but, none of those goods is the ultimate good. And therefore, when your life becomes dominated by them, you are blinded now to the ultimate good, which is God. You know, Thomas Merton, the great American spiritual writer, said that the desires for food and drink and sex are like children. They are insistent. They speak all the time. They want what they want when they want it. You know, parents dealing with little kids who want something to eat, and they pressure, pressure, pressure. They talk, talk, talk. They demand, demand, demand. They want it now. So, says Merton, these desires are like kids. And as any parent knows, if you indulge a child's desire all the time, pretty soon that child will be running the house. So, these desires in us, which are good, but if we indulge them, we allow them to dominate us, we will never access the deeper levels of our lives. And this is precisely why Jesus says what he says. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't base your life here. You live on so much more than sensual pleasure, food and drink and sex. Don't let them be the determining element in your life. How tragic when your life shrinks down to these very small contours. But now we're going to move higher. This was a 
pretty basic, low-level temptation. And Jesus deals with it. But listen. Then the devil took him up higher and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. He said to him, I will give you all this power and the glory of these kingdoms. The power has been given to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. That's a great and dramatic scene, isn't it? The devil takes him up to a high place, a high point of vantage, where he can see in one glance all the powers, all the kingdoms, all the splendor of the world. This is the temptation, not to sensual pleasure, but a more subtle, more refined temptation toward power. Up and down human history, some great people have been tempted by power. Power is a deeply alluring thing. And, like sensual pleasure, not bad in itself. In fact, God is described as all-powerful. Nothing wrong with power in itself, but power in the worldly sense is not God. Power in the worldly sense is not the ultimate good. And therefore, when we make it so, we become spiritually corrupt. Watch these Christians up and down the centuries. From Caesar Augustus, to Marcus Aurelius, to Charlemagne, the Medicis, Henry VIII, Louis XIV, Napoleon, figure after figure, seduced by the allure of power. You know, I'm reading a book right now. It's a, an account of the presidency of Richard Nixon. And what you see in Nixon and Kissinger and others around them is precisely this tendency, that power in itself becomes such a allure it becomes a dominant force. Notice, too, in all these people I mentioned, they've risen above that first-level temptation. A lot of powerful people, they're not particularly interested in, in the goods of the body. They're able to be, when they need to be, very ascetic. They can leave that behind, but yet they are dominated by this lust for power. Notice something, too. There's something very disquieting in this account. The devil clearly says... All these have been given to me. All earthly power. That's quite a judgment, by the way. All earthly power, in some sense, belongs to the devil. Does this show us why it seems so difficult for people who get to positions of high power to resist the temptation toward domination, the temptation toward manipulating and abusing others? Power is a very dangerous thing. This is the second temptation he faces. What does Jesus say? Scripture has it, You shall do homage to the Lord your God. Him alone shall you adore. I don't care how good power is, how impressive it is, how alluring it is. It's not worth the price of your soul. If it means you've got to surrender your whole self to the powers of darkness, to evil, manipulation, domination, it is not worth it. The honoring of God must always be basic. We haven't come to the third temptation yet, the highest, according to Luke. Listen. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem, set him on the parapet of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for Scripture has it, he will bid his angels watch over you. 
We're now at the highest place. We've gone from the floor of the desert to this vantage point where you see all the kingdoms of the world and now to the parapet of the temple. What does it mean? The temple, as I've said before, was the center point in the life of the Jews of Jesus' time. It was the center of political life, social life, economic life, religious life. Everything centered around the temple. The temple was everything. Therefore, to be on the parapet of the temple, the high point in this central place in the country, meant to be in the place of greatest glory. Glory, honor. Everybody can see me. I am at the top of my society. There's no higher place. And now listen, even God is watching out for me. His angels will come and they'll bear me up. This is not the temptation to sensual desire. This is not the temptation to power. This is the temptation to glory and the inflation of the ego. Reputation. Everyone sees me. This, again, up and down the centuries, has been a very dangerous business. What does Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Your life is not about getting everyone to notice you, including God. Your life should be about doing the will of God, following the prompts of God's desire. Remember what Dante, the great poet, said, Lord, in your will is our peace, not sensual desire. Not power, not the glorification of the ego, but rather surrendering one's life to the promptings of the divine will. Christians, this is what Lent is about. Looking carefully at what goes wrong with us, looking carefully at temptation, that we might see what our life should be like. Let that be a practice this Lent, and God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.